Hello and welcome to Ever the Optimist, a podcast where we discuss the news of tomorrow today. I'm your host, Eric, who you can find at wyethdigital.com slash optimist. That's W-Y-E-T-H-D-I-G-I-T-A-L dot com slash optimist. You can also like Ever the Optimist on Facebook and follow on Twitter. I'd also like to tell you where you could find us in the future, um, but you're not there yet, and it would be rather pointless. Um, anyway, as always, you can find uh, links and discussions of show notes um, and uh, discussions in our, and topics in our show notes at wyethdigital.com slash optimist. Question of the week. Coming up on our future fail segment, Hollywood's biggest failed predictions, but let's first talk about... Um, Asteroids, meteorites, um, meteoroids. Um, unless you're Chicken Little, you've seen the spectacular footage of the meteorite explosion over the Ural Mountains in Russia. Um, that's old news, of course, as is the asteroid near miss on the same day and the fireball over Northern California within hours of both. And now there are calls for a space-based alert system to more quickly warn us of an impending collision with one of these space rocks. That got me wondering how something like that would work. Uh, will it be like the tsunami warning systems in the Pacific, uh, the tornado, tornado warning sirens in the United States? So the question of the week is kind of a, a multiple part. How do you think an early warning system for asteroids will work? Who should pay for it? And who should operate it? And the bonus question, is this the global initiative that we've been looking for uh, to unite a fractured world? Uh, you can sound off now um, on Twitter, on Facebook, um, on the blog, if you so choose. Um, we'd really like to hear what you have to say. That's for sure. Future Dick. Ah, now it's time to get into technology. Uh, and get a grip on bionic hands, or maybe they'll get a grip on us. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to love the Six Million Dollar Man TV show. Okay, we even had dolls when I was growing up. I don't know, he was probably 12 or 13 inches tall, maybe maybe nine inches, I don't know. I don't remember um, exactly how tall he was. I was a kid, he was huge. Uh, anyway, he came in, uh, dressed in a tracksuit. Um, he had a mini telescopic eye, which could be gazed through via a rather large hole in the back of his head. <laughs> Never mind. Okay, I was going to make a Kennedy joke here, but it might be too soon. Anyway, he had an interchangeable arm, and they had these little, uh, these little uh, grips that you could, these little sections of his arm that you could pull out and change his circuits, you know. And they had this little rubber sleeve you could roll up so it looked like flesh, or roll it down and it looked like a cyborg arm. And you could get different ones. Some of them had laser beams and stuff like that. Anyway, um... Anyway, he, basically he was just a torso holding all these bionic parts together. And as a kid, the really amazing bit for me um, was that underneath his tracksuit, he wasn't naked, uh, unlike his androgynous cousin Kendall, but rather sported what looked like a pair of red plastic bionic briefs. Uh, complete, with, <laughs> complete with molded uh, circuitry design around the waistband. <laughs> okay, anyway, that's a little fond reminiscing. Um, I don't know if any of you guys had those or not, but... Anyway, so let's get back to the future. Uh, reporting on the LiveScience.com website, uh, 
uh, via Yahoo News, informs us that uh, researchers and developers at the Translational Neural Engineering Lab at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne, Switzerland, and I probably butchered that name, I'm sure I'll hear about it. Uh, anyway, they're helping to create the world's most advanced bionic hand. Uh, the goal is one day to connect prosthetic bionic hands to the human nervous systems of amputees, uh, allowing tactile sensations and better control and functionality of grip. They've actually conducted a four-week clinical trial in which they implanted electrodes into the median and ulnar nerves on the arm near the stump of the amputated hand. These connections provoke the sensation of touch. <clears throat> they also assessed motor control via signals from the nerves, uh, which help control muscles. They're predicting that someday the bionic hand will be able to directly respond to signals sent from the brain, which will actuate the bionic hand and provide a sense of touch. Uh, will we ever see the reality of a bionic man squeezing an orange into pulp in slow motion? Or is that just a pipe dream? Only time will tell. Alright, this week I want to talk about the um, predictions that movies have made for the future that have failed to, well, materialize. Smosh.com recently published a list of 10 movies that totally failed to predict the future. Uh, the link is in the show notes, um, and I've got five on their list of 10 movies and their failed predictions. Okay, one, Back to the Future 2, predicted year 2015. Okay, granted that hasn't ha happened yet, but there'd have to be a heck of a lot of development going on really quickly. Anyway, they predicted uh, hoverboard, hover cars, and hover signs, auto lacing sneakers, auto fitting clothes, scrolling LED name tag hats, and you know, we're probably not really that far away from those. Uh, wearing two ties at once for some ungodly reason. I suppose you'll want to get choked twice as much getting out of a car or something. Uh, Jaws 19. I'd say they've got a lot of Jaws movies to make yet. Um, Number two is 2001, A Space Odyssey. You're predicted. Well, I don't know. Think about it for a minute, okay? Uh, commercial space travel is routine. Colony on the moon. Contact with alien intelligence. <laughs> Not even sure we're contacting our own intelligence. Uh, Self-aware, self-serving computers who blame everything on human error. That sounds sort of like my uh, personal computer here, anyway. Uh, Pan Am is still in business. Not even the show survived. Okay, three is the Terminator movies. Um, so I guess it's really more than... Yeah, that's kind of like a three for there. Anyway, year predicted, 1997-ish. Um, global Defense Computer Network becomes self-aware and initiates a nuclear holocaust to destroy humanity in 1997 or 2004 or 2011 depending on which movie or tv series you watch and we have obviously passed 2011 and no blowy uppy quite yet uh number four is a is escape from new york you're predicted 1997 manhattan is a giant maximum security prison devoid of any living things except the worst people unimaginable um 
And you know what? I don't think they can still get those big 32 ounce glasses of soda. Time Cop, year predicted, 2004. Uh, time travel is possible. Self-driving, voice-activated cars are commonplace. Jean-Claude Van Damme is still relevant in the 21st century. Um, not really. Has he been on Dancing with the Stars yet? I don't know. Maybe that might be something. Um, anyway, these are certainly some things that I would, would... There are certainly some things I wouldn't have minded if they had come true. You know, like the flying cars and the skateboards and all that. But <clears throat> all in all, as for Hollywood's vision for our future... Um, especially if you're looking at Terminator, I'd say we dodged a bullet. Uh, what would, what would you keep? And, uh, what are you glad didn't happen? Anyway, that's at Smosh.com. Sorry, inaugural podcast. Ooh. Let's take a trip to Mars, people. Um, but we're going on this trip in the reverse. By starting with plans to colonize Red Planet in 2023. Now that kind of sounds like an optimistic idea that could help preserve the human race, right? Not so fast. The planners of this little junket want to turn it into a reality TV show. Something akin to Big Brother on steroids. If Big Brother in space isn't enough to make you reach for the noose, there's more. The trip is one way. If you're voted off this show, it's out the airlock for you, Dave. Details are still being worked out, but the gist is that they're looking for 18-year-olds to apply that have few to zero contacts on Earth, excuse me, connections on Earth, and if they pass a battery of physical and psychological tests, they'll be signed up for a one-way trip to the Red Planet where they'll set up modules for human habitation that were deposited by a previous unmanned mission. From then on, it's farming, building, repairing, and trying to Skype Earth with a 30-minute delay between responses. <laughs> Hope they pack plenty of Kleenex and Bengay because I sense a lot of self-exploration on Mars, if you kind of get what I'm saying. Glass half full. Ah, the glass half full. But things are not as bad for our hapless and helpless Martian housemates as they would appear. NASA is granting seed money to the University of Washington to build a working fusion propulsion system that could cut travel to Mars between 30 to 90 days. Now that's a damn sight better than the 12 months it could take to get there by current conventional propulsion methods. It might even be efficient enough to make return flights with Martian colonists possible. But that's just a personal optimistic speculation on my part. Now I'm no scientist, not by a long shot. I'm also apparently not much of a podcasting engineer either. Anyway, but the way that the U of University of Washington has designed this thing is pretty cool. It's called a Fusion Driven Rocket, or FDR, and the engine is a propulsion system that uses magnetism to compress metal bands around a deuterium-tritium pellet to initiate a microsecond-long fusion reaction that shoots the propellant out the rear of the engine at 30 kilometers per second. It would fire about once every minute to bring a vessel to speed and still keep G-forces within acceptable margins for a human payload. Now it only takes a pellet about the size of a grain of sand to equal the output of a gallon of chemical rocket fuel. Best yet, solar panels provide enough power to contain and control the reaction. And from what I understand, initiate it. 
Scientists at the University of Washington believe this could finally open up the interplanetary space exploration, and that's something to look forward to. And we're coming to the end of our show here. I want to thank you for listening, and please check out my rather eclectic website, wyethdigital.com slash optimist for show notes and links to the articles I've cited. Like my Facebook page and follow me on Twitter. This is Eric, and I'm Ever the Optimist.